seeks to be united in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think the Apostle Paul says it best from Romans chapter 15. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we seek this harmony because we believe it is possible by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We continue our study of the last chief part of Luther's small catechism with the sacrament of the altar. We have established so far from God's word that it is the body and blood of Christ under the bread and wine, as we would say, the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we also know that when you receive it, when you eat and drink, you receive forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Now, as we know, these are are very simple, profound, and heavenly realities, but then there's always more questions. So today we go through the last two questions that Luther highlights. How is this possible? And who is even worthy to receive such a heavenly, precious gift from our Lord? We'll cover these questions and many others, so open up your catechism, and more importantly, open up your Bible, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the small catechism, send us an email. KFUO at KFUO.org. KFUO at KFUO.org. I'm excited today as, as, as joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome back the Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Richard, welcome back to Concord Matters. Hey, it's good to hear your voice there, Brady. Good to see you too. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's a joy to be with you today. Is you know, what I really have enjoyed is when we're able to discuss such things as the sacraments from people who have come from different uh, denominations or different church bodies, even though it's Lutheran, but maybe a little bit different. And Pastor, I didn't ask you to answer this question, but maybe we can just shoot from the hip a little bit, is you came from a different church body into the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Was there any distinctions as as we confess about the Lord's Supper that you have seen? You know, that's a very good question. Um, I would say when it comes down to it, not necessarily theologically, but just more of, how do we say this, maybe emphasis. Uh, for example, I know I know, growing up as, as a youth, uh, I went through, uh, obviously baptized in the Lutheran Church as an as a, as a infant, and then went through the confirmation uh, process and became a member of the local church. But I don't recall, and I could be proven wrong on this, but I don't recall ever having communion until at least I was 18 or 19 or 20 years old. And hmm. uh, the reason being is is uh, the, the church uh, that I grew up in uh, had this uh, more of a pietism, what we say, a pietism background where uh, they de-emphasized the sacraments, the, the emphasis of the sacraments, and uh, they had obviously with that uh, what we call low church, uh, very more of a contemporary feel and so forth. And so what they what they did is is they actually practiced um, uh, historically closed communion, but it was like a closed communion on steroids, if you would, if you will. Uh, in other words, what this looked like is they would have their church service, and then the communion service would be Sunday night at six or seven o'clock, uh, separated completely from the uh, church service in the morning. And so, um, obviously, I didn't go on on Sunday nights, and I, that wasn't really a part of it, and it wasn't really emphasized as much. It was there, but it wasn't really emphasized. 
And so to actually see a communion service attached to a Sunday morning church service was uh, very peculiar to me. I remember the first time seeing it, I was just like, this is really unique that there's actually communion. Now, I did I did see that with my dad uh, being Roman Catholic growing up, and I saw communion all the time at the church service there, but that was Catholic, so that was in a whole different category for myself. And so mm. when it comes to communion and baptism itself, and even like what we'd say the office of the keys, the role of the pastor and the absolution, uh, those things with my church background were uh, definitely de-emphasized. And so it's not that they were rejected, it's just that they were not uh, prominent, maybe say it that way. It is fascinating for how we practice. Does it ref- reflect what we believe? And it is It is interesting as we look at this, which is why I love how Luther just brings us back to the basics, because as we look at the basics of what it is, for example, it is the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine. To be able to say that means, oh, wow, it's, this is actually Jesus physically present for you. And if it gives you forgiveness, life, and salvation, and we barely, and all those facts are true, and we believe them, confess them, you're kind of like, well, why don't we have it more often? Or how do we distribute this? Um, who should receive it? Um, how is this even possible? Which is why I, you know, Luther, I mean, Luther's small catechism, which obviously there's a large catechism that goes with this. And I encourage our, our, our listeners to look at the large catechism, catechism as well. It's fascinating how Luther addresses a lot of these things. But more importantly, it's good for you to always look back and go, huh, if that's what it is, then why are we doing X or why are we not doing this? And that's a continual um, check for all of us of the gift that we have in such things as the Lord's Supper. Pastor, any other reflections before we dig into small catechism? No, I think I think you're absolutely right. Our, our practice does, in a lot of ways, um, whether we intentionally or not, our practice does kind of communicate what we value, you know, um, what we value and what we esteem. I mean, very, very simply, I, I, um, it's interesting, I, I'm coaching some archery here on the side uh, yes. in a small town called Surrey, and, uh, and, and no, by no means am I meaning this to be super critical by any means, but we have a tournament coming up. And uh, so we only had a smaller group of kids that could attend. And the reason why, well, there's basketball that same day. And mm. totally get it, uh, totally fine. Uh, I want archery to be a joy and a gift uh, to participate in. But it was really interesting uh, hearing, well, we have a basketball game, so that comes first over archery. So then you see uh, what is the emphasis? Now I have a couple other kids where they're not going to join basketball because archery is their thing. So in your practice, you actually uh, can 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 show forth what your priorities and what what you view and how you view a thing to be. And so absolutely, uh, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, uh, the prominence of it, you know, uh, if we truly believe it's the true body and blood of, of, of our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of sins, um, that is a great question. Why wouldn't we want to have it more often? Um, in fact, that's that's one of the main reasons um, why I can look back at my previous denomination. I can say, God be praised for my previous denomination. They baptized me in this church. I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and this church. Um, God be praised, kept me in the Christian faith and trained me to be a pastor. And so I owe a great deal of gratitude to my previous denomination. And I can look at them and say, thank you. And, and, and God bless you for your work. Um, however, the, with that stated, one of my main reasons for joining the Missouri Senate was twofold. Uh, one was I wanted more of the liturgy, and I want something bigger than myself, um, something older than I am, um, bigger than I am, something that I can just be inserted into as a pastor, as a mere servant of the word and sacraments. 
uh, part of a bigger, uh, larger context of, of liturgy. And the other one was I wanted to be much more of a sacramental uh, preacher, a sacramental minister, a uh, sacramental pastor, uh, delivering the gifts and pointing people to external means, we would say, uh, to hang your body upon your baptisms and to, to rest at that table, uh, these tangible gifts given to you. Uh, that was one of my main attractions to the Missouri Synod was the, obviously the liturgy and the sacraments. And with all of our issues, brokenness, and problems, that is our focus, Christ coming down to us, which is clearly confessed as we will, as we will as, as, ask these questions in Luther's Small Catechism today. So let's look at that. A reminder to our listeners, we are studying Luther's Small Catechism with explanation, which is in accord with God's Holy Word from the 2017 CPH version. Specifically, we are on page 29 of this version of Luther's Small Catechism. So we'll begin with the, the third question, excuse me, the fourth question on the sacrament of the altar. How can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? Certainly not just eating and drinking to do these things, do these things, but the words written here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. These words, along with the bodily eating and drinking, are the main thing in the sacrament. Whoever believes these words has exactly what they say, forgiveness of sins. So, Pastor, how was this possible? How can it do such great things? Yeah, I have I have a blast with the confirmation <laughs> students on this. We we talk about, you know, what is uh, baptism and what is communion, and just real briefly, I know we're not talking about baptism, but I always jokingly tell the kids, I said, let's just say I put my collar and my alb on, and I go down to the mall, the Minot Dakota Square Mall, and I walk in with my stole and my my uh, my vestments, and I have a super soaker gun, and I run up to somebody tap him on the shoulder and shoot him in the face with a soaker gun, a super soaker gun. And I say, baptized. And I run away. And the kids always laugh. They think it's a funny sight, which I got to admit, I think that'd be kind of, I don't know. I think that'd be kind of fun. I, I would never do it. But uh, part of me is like, yeah, that'd be kind of fun to see. And I say, is this a baptism? And they all laugh. They say, no, pastor, it's not a baptism. And I, and I say, well, why isn't it a baptism? They say, well, you forgot the word. And uh, ultimately that's what we look at. So when we look at this, you know, eating and drinking, they certainly do not do it, but rather the words that are recorded, given for you and shed for you. And so we must understand with, with the sacraments, it, it is an earthly element such as water and bread and wine, but it's the word of God uh, along with that. And so Jesus tells us, uh, he says, do this in remembrance of me and uh, take the cup and take the bread, uh, eat and drink and receive uh, for the forgiveness of sins, and where Jesus makes a promise and where his word is present, uh, that which he promises is that what happens. And so we eat and drink and receive with great gratitude uh, that which is for us, uh, been prepared for us, uh, that for the sake of the forgiveness of sins. And so uh, we emphasize, obviously, uh, that the word is present uh, in, with, and under that uh, that bread and that wine for us. <laughs> Well, and that's where we can get we can get lost in a, a lot of uh, different questions. And this is once again kind of confirmation where a kid will ask a question, and all of a sudden you're on a whole different task. And and I always kind of wonder these kids when they would ask these questions: Are they really interested, or are they trying to distract me so we don't get very far in class? I never quite figured that one out. But anyways, um, it says how can the bodily eating and drinking do such great things? 
Certainly not just eating and drinking do these things. I find that interesting when Luther starts this because we can kind of get wound up in the eating and drinking portion of it and we completely forget about Christ or, or other insights he has here. How he writes it is so important of what he's addressing then and what we have to address nowadays. So any thoughts on what he's addressing when he says these things? Well, I, I think I think part of it is, is, as I'm reading this here, eating and drinking certainly do not do this. So the, the emphasis... As a, as a Professor Rod Rosenblatt always used to say, uh, it's mm. on which syllable you put it or syllable, <laughs> right? And so uh, we definitely are, are called to eat and to drink, obviously, which is to receive. But that eating and drinking certainly do not accomplish it. In other words, it isn't my eating and drinking that uh, uh, the emphasis of that syllable, um, that my eating and drinking is thus what causes the forgiveness of sins. It is the promise of the gift given to us that does it. The eating and drinking is simply uh, the faith that receives it, you know, receives these wonderful gifts, um, just as we receive the word into our ears uh, to hear it. And so uh, when it comes down to the uh, altar, if you just put this really practically speaking, if I'm at the altar as a pastor and um, I turn and I face the congregation and I hold up the elements and, and I sing, you know, uh, the peace of the Lord be with you always. And the congregation sings amen. And then they come forward and and the hands go out. And I usually take the host. I usually have the bread and the, my elders come by with the uh, the wine after me. And I hold the bread and I and I and I lift it up right up to eye level. I say, "This is this is the body for you. This is uh, this is the the body of Christ for you." And so I lift it up, and then immediately what happens? The hands open, and that's faith opening mm-hmm. those hands. Mm-hmm. And then I hand it to them, and they eat. And I have not yet once had a person say, "You know what? Do you see how I ate that, Pastor? Oh boy, I, I my hands went out really really good, and and I really chewed on it really well." And uh, boy, I swallowed a good swallow there to know that I'm forgiven. I mean, that's preposterous. We would say that's just mm-hmm. absolutely foolishness. And so the emphasis is not on that syllable, not that syllable. The eating and drinking certainly do not do it. It's the promises of God uh, with this sacrament that that when we eat and drink and receive this, we're receiving Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And not just a little bit of sin, but all of our sins and the strengthening of our faith. As it says here very clearly, these words written here, given and shed for you, which is another emphasis. What I think he he says something along the lines, what emphases do you have on the right syllable is what Rosenblatt would say sometimes too. Emphases or emphasis, but given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So if there's ever any question about who it's for, it's for you, um, away from ourselves, how we're eating, how we're standing, uh, what we're doing, even though, though there's good piety in how we stand, and it reflects what we believe. Because if you run up there and are talking the whole time and don't care, no vowing, none of those things, or or even sometimes as a pastor, you'll be giving the host, and like you said, you put it in front of their eye and say, this is this is the, the true body of our Lord Jesus Christ given for you. That if somebody puts their hand out, one, it's easier for us pastors to, to give it to you. You know, if you put your hand out there, it's a lot easier to place it there. But also reflects that theology that I'm receiving that gift as opposed to some people kind of like we're, we're chicken peckers. You know, they kind of grab it from your hand, if you will. Um, so that's practical. And then there's somewhat theological that you're receiving this because you know it's for you. There's no question about it because it's it's directed right at you, which is why I like how you said that you put it up to their eye level so that they don't wonder who's this for. Somebody else know it's for 
you. Any thoughts on that emphasis? Yeah, you know, I, I certainly don't mean to be uh, uh, disrespectful to the Lord's Supper when I use this illustration, but uh, uh, this illustration came to me from another pastor, and, and I and I once shared this before on another uh, podcast, and he told me, he goes, well, that wasn't original with me. It was original with somebody else, which I have no idea where it came from, so I don't <laughs> I don't have to reference it, but the fact of the matter is, uh, he said, he said, uh, and this is why I don't mean to be disrespectful to the Lord's Supper in this illustration. But he said, imagine going to a college campus and you pull up as a as a college, you know, sophomore or, or junior, or whatever you are, and there's a big sign and it says "free beer." You know, big big sign says "free beer," big big black letters, "free beer." Now you would say, okay, that's cool, that's great, it's free. But then the next question is, free free beer where? You know where's it at and 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 who's it for right i mean so if it's free that's great but is it for me and where is it and that's ultimately what we see in these wonderful sacraments uh we have free forgiveness and where is it it's right here at this table uh right here at this table uh the true body and blood right here and it's free then the next question is well who's it for it's for you and so we, we, we look at it that the emphasis is it's right here. We know where it's located, and then we also know who it's for. It's for us, the baptized, those um, that are at the kneel of the cro- kneeling at the cross, uh, those that need the forgiveness of sins, sinners, um, you know, and thought word indeed who need faith strengthened and sins forgiven. In the large catechism, it says these words, as Christians, Christians, we confess that the words of our Lord Jesus do just what they say, what Christ's lips say and speak, so it is. It's so important as we look at this where the ultimate answer is, how can this be? How is this even possible? And when Jesus says, you're forgiven, um, well, we probably should believe him because he's done all the work for it. Um, and, and when we read this, we can have a lot more questions, but it simply comes down to, as it says, Whoever believes these words has exactly what they say, forgiveness of sins. Pastor, what are your thoughts on, on that assurance that is, is said? Well, why do we believe it? Well, because Jesus says so. Yeah, you know, oftentimes, now, again, this is going to be jumping to absolution, uh, but nonetheless, it still applies. Uh, when I do uh, uh, private confession absolution with prisoners, um, oftentimes we'll come into my office, we have a good conversation, and usually I'm fishing for... Uh, what sin has tied them up, either sin that they have committed or sin that has been conducted against them. And so we want to clean that conscience up. So anything that's on their conscience that doesn't belong there, uh, we need to get it off. Say, nope, nope, you didn't commit that sin that was done against you, so your conscience should be clean. But that which the conscience is grieved by that sin, then we uh, grab a hold of that sin, metaphorically, obviously, and then we get up and then we go into the... Uh, sanctuary of St. Paul's, and we uh, go to that rail, and we kneel, and we confess that sin boldly at the altar. And then as a pastor, I put my hand, one of the greatest things that you can do as a pastor, you put your hand on the baptized, and you say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you of all my sins. I'll forgive you all of your sins. And you draw the sign of the cross on their head. And then I love it how our liturgy uh, is. It says, go in peace. Amen. And then... (laughs) Is what I typically do. <laughs> I, I, I typically say, okay, we're good. And then they're like, they, you know, the average person looks at me, they're like, okay, what? and like, go, get out of here, leave. And, and, and I'm like, no, we're not going to go back to my office and talk. We're not going to visit about this anymore. You're forgiven. There's the door. Go back to your vocation in good cheer. You are forgiven. And we're done. And when I see you next week, 
I'm not bringing this up. You're forgiven. And I said, in fact, what happens is as you leave today, the devil's going to go to work on you. He's going to go dig these sins out of the closet and go try to grab them. He's going to go try to go to Christ's tomb and try looking for him to bring them back and ding them before your eyes. But when that happens, you must trust the words of Jesus that you are truly forgiven. And pardon me how I say this, but I've told my parishioners before, you need to tell the devil to go to to hell, you know, get get Mm -hmm. out of here, Mm -hmm. be gone. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm forgiven because Christ says so. And the reason why... The reason why we believe Jesus is because, well, obviously he's the son of God, but secondly, he rose from the dead and he defeated death and Satan and, and sin itself. And so when, when it comes to this assurance that we have, uh, we know we are truly forgiven, uh, not only because we heard it in our ears, but we tasted it on our tongue, we smelled it in our nose, and it was shown to us with our eyes uh, that we are forgiven that the body and blood of Christ, uh, the true true body and blood of Christ was given for us, to us and for us for the forgiveness of our sins. So we we do we hang ourselves on that and 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 it's like that um oh that one woman uh, I'm trying to remember a uh, little my memory uh, where she comes and she she demands, right? You know, our faith makes a demands that yep, I am forgiven. Um uh, I'm absolutely forgiven in Christ. And what you say is what should be given, and I'm going to hang my body on it and trust it for my life that I'm forgiven. Mm-hmm. And Pastor, as we as we look at that, it is something so important that someone's able to receive the body and blood of Christ. And if someone were to ask, what just happened there? That they just keep it simple. I was forgiven. And or you can say when you're done, uh, with no doubt. I'm forgiven. And then the simple exhortation after that is go in peace every single time. Go in peace. And okay, now what? Well, go in peace. Yeah. <laughs> if you have questions about what to do when you get up there, and we tell you, take and eat, <laughs> take and drink, and then go in peace because uh, you're forgiven, which is why I love the liturgy that, you know, uh, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. We will sing. Uh, the song of Simeon after we receive the Lord's Supper, which is such a blessing. And so it's very simple. That's why the first question, how can bodily eating and drinking do such great things? It really comes down to uh, faith and the work of Christ, which is forgiveness. Other thoughts you have on that on that question? There's quite a bit that we could talk about. Well, just, you mentioned Simeon's song that we sing, and essentially essentially, what we're saying there is, is with the Simeon song, singing the Nunc Dimittis, we're essentially saying, you know what? I've had, I have Jesus. Um, I have the forgiveness of sins. And so, you know what? Uh, I could die. I could die right now and we're good. We're completely good. And uh, uh, everything's well. It's well with my soul. And so quite literally, when we're done with the supper, uh, we have uh, just as Simeon held uh, baby Jesus in his arms, we, we, we have received uh, the same Christ uh, for us, for the forgiveness of sins. And so like Simeon, we can say, we're good. We're completely good. And uh, that's the assurance that uh, uh, we should have um, from that supper. And then we hear the blessing, right? Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you and so forth. And then we go throughout our vocations in the middle of the week. And as we already know, we mess up our vocations left and right. The old Adam gets the best of us. And we, um, yeah, we fall short in thought, word, and deed. And we come back to church the next Sunday and we stand shoulder to shoulder, and we confess our sins that we have failed in thought, word, and deed. The pastor gets to stand up, place his hand on the baptismal font, 
and tuck everyone back into their baptisms, telling them that they're forgiven. And the church says, amen. And then the church gets to hear the word. The church says, amen. And then to boot on top of that, uh, the church gets to come and kneel and receive the body and blood of Christ. And the church says, amen. And then we're released back into our vocation as forgiven sinners, uh, you know, strengthened in faith. And the next week we mess it up again. We can do it over and over and over. Uh, but mm. it's it's a table that's unending and it's a free gift for us. It really is. How you got Simplicity does not mean easy. Uh, simplicity, when we talk about vocation, especially simplicity doesn't mean um, not profound when it comes to the Lord's Supper. So simplicity of saying, well, you receive it, you're, you're forgiven, and you move on. Well, when you leave church, there's a lot going on, you know, especially as as we talk about uh, pastor, as, as fathers, as husbands, more husbands and then fathers, and, and our other vocations that not only do we uh, sin in those, but also it's incredibly complex that we need the strength that the Lord promises to give through this. So that's why I, that's why I love that it is so simple because everything else in life seems so complex. So why do we try to take one of his great gifts that he has made very simple? He says this in Matthew 26, for the forgiveness of sins and try to make it more questionable or more dynamics to it or more work a part of it as opposed to simply putting your hand out and, and simply receiving. Pastor, with about a minute left before our break, any last thoughts on that first question? You know, I once heard, and again, I, I get all these quotes and I hear them and get lodged in my brain. I don't always recall where I hear <laughs> <Exactly>. them. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm a walking plagiarism uh, as a pastor, I think, many times. Uh, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, I was told once that evangelism, that's outreach, is just one beggar telling another beggar where the free warm bread is. And mm. I just, I just love that. I mean, it, it, you imagine a beggar, right? Um, and begging itself is, is difficult. I mean, you know, to be, to be humble to the point of, uh, of begging, it's very, very much very difficult, but that's what we do. We come in and we confess that we've sinned. And then we sing the Kyrie, right? The song of, the song of blind Bartimaeus and all these people that have cried out for mercy um, in the past. And then we mm. come as beggars before the altar and then the pastor smiles with the joy of the Lord, and he places the true body and blood into the hands and into the mouth. And then you know what? You're forgiven. And guess what? You get to tell others, come and what? Get the free warm bread. It's free. There's no conditions on it. Uh, it's for bakers, uh, for sinners uh, to receive. And so it's glorious. It's just, it, it's, it's great. And uh, it's, it's, it is. It's a wonderful gift uh, to receive as, as much as we can. Well, now I'm ready for lunch. So uh, but anyways, we need to take our break. We are concluding our confession of the sacrament of the altar from Luther's small catechism. And we'll be right back. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. 
discussing the truth of the sacrament of the altar and Luther's small catechism in accordance with God's word with Pastor Matthew Richard of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor, as you, as you emphasize so beautifully, it brings us to this great gift for you of the forgiveness of sins as we are beggars indeed, but yet our Lord freely gives us this free gift of the forgiveness that is flows down from his cross. Now we get to the next question of who. And before I get to that, did you want to highlight anything else before we move to the next question? No, I think I think we're good to, to jump into the next section. There's a lot of All good right. stuff to look at here. Oh, there is. There is. So uh, join with me once again on page 29 of Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation. Um, and the question is really, you know, who... Who should have this? I mean, it, it sounds glorious. It sounds like a beautiful thing. But who should receive it? Who receives the sacrament worthily? Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. But that person is truly worthy and well-prepared who has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. But anyone who does not believe these words or doubts them is unworthy and unprepared for the words for you require all require all hearts to believe. Pastor, how do you want to start us off with this last question? I'm actually reminded uh, of a prisoner once. Uh, it was I think it was Monday, Thursday. I, I don't recall. I think it was Monday, Thursday. And anyway, the prisoner came in and and I don't think I said anything nice to the prisoner. I was always mean to him. He was always joking with me too. That was kind of our relationship. It was a really, really fun <laughs> relationship where we'd insult each other back and forth. And that was a sign of love. And so if you didn't know either of us, you would think that we were the worst enemies in the world. But I remember once he came in and we'll just call him Johnny. And I said, hey, Johnny, how's your week been? Well, pastor. And, you know, he understood the gospel. So he would always make these uh, theologically heretical statements all the time. And uh, so how was your week this week? Well, you know, I've been I've been pretty good this week, Pastor. I've I've done a lot of good things. I said, yeah, it's gone pretty well. Yeah, my my, you know, I haven't done a whole lot of sin this week, and I've been I've been pretty good. You know, ask ask uh, Susie, what to say? His wife Susie. Ask Susie. I've been pretty good. And he goes, by golly, Pastor. He goes, I, I probably deserve two wafers today for being so good. And I joke, joke, and I said, <laughs> well, I said with that kind of attitude, and how great you've been, you might even get three wafers. And he'd laugh and so forth. And the the funny part of it. <laughs> The funny part of it is, I mean, it was absolutely insulting. He was insulting his old Adam. He's insulting works righteousness because he knew deep down uh, that he was a sinner through and through. And that uh, when we go to the Lord's table, we go as sinners uh, in faith, trusting that we receive the forgiveness of sins and that we do not go uh, to the Lord's table as a reward for our goodness, um, as a reward as a, you know, if you think of it this way, you know, if you if you win a sporting game, right, whether it's a hockey game or, you know, uh, like just the other day we had an archery tournament uh, that we had our kids and those that did really well, they got to stand in the middle of the gym floor and they got a little pin and then everyone clapped and they got to be recognized up front. Uh, the Lord's Supper is the inverse of that, the complete opposite. Uh, when we go to the Lord's table, we do not go with our pride. Uh, we do not go with our accomplishments. Uh, we go with our, our tilted halos, with our bent crowns. We go with our scuffs. Uh, we, we come before that altar, uh, not proud in our sin. We should remind that, not proud or boastful in our sin, but we come uh, like that tax collector uh, beating our breast 
um, confessing, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And those hands open up because even though we know we're sinners and thought we're indeed, we also know that the free warm bread, uh, the, 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 the Lord's table is for us. And so we go <clears throat> as sinners, but we also go boldly in faith to receive the forgiveness of sins from the one who uh, joyfully gives to us. And so we do not go as as Johnny said, right? You know, I've been good. I want I want three wafers. We we go because we haven't been good, and we need uh, the forgiveness of sins. We need Jesus. I love how you highlighted from Luke chapter eighteen when that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that the simple answer to this question is who receives this sacrament worthily, or a lot of times who deserves to receive this body and blood of Christ? And the first answer to that in in all reality is no one. (laughs) I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. None of you deserve it. And that's why we come in faith saying those same words as a tax collector. It says he stood far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven and beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But that's not what Luther is emphasizing. Neither is that the point of the Lord's Supper, not to try to make you to uh, evaluate even more of your sinfulness, but to go up there in faith to receive exactly what the Lord has given. Now, Pastor, it is, is fascinating once again. Luther starts with, Fasting and bodily preparation are certainly fine outward training. This is a little bit foreign to our ears because I don't know many people, maybe a few people at the beginning of my ministry, who would even think about fasting or bodily preparation before the Lord's Supper. As a matter of fact, sometimes you're eating donuts and and uh, having a big breakfast breakfast before you even receive the body and blood of Christ. So, any any thoughts on what he's uh, what he's addressing with those first words? Well, we want to understand that uh, external disciplines um, in of themselves uh, can be very, very good. And so we don't want to diminish that. I mean, we were actually reading the, about this in um, the Freedom of the Christian in our men's Bible study here this morning and uh, talking about this very subject, that uh, when it comes to external disciplines, uh, they're good. Uh, they're very, very good. But when we uh, attach our ego or we attach our... Uh, our assurance or our worth towards these external disciplines, we've gone, uh, you know, tragically, tragically in the ditch. And so an external discipline is, is absolutely fine, um, you know, in preparation. Um, but one is not worthy because of what they've done. And again, it's, 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 it's the whole Lord's table is not just some sort of a barter and exchange, you know, where we exchange our righteousness for a little bit more righteousness of Jesus. Uh, that's heaven, heavens. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's not like that by any means. Uh, but when it comes down to it, he says, you know, they're fine, which is good. Yep, they're very good. Uh, but he also says here, but a person who has faith in these words given for you and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, right, is really worthy and well prepared. So when you when you know that I'm going to that table, number one, knowing that it's for me. Now, keep in mind that this table is not our table. You know, it's the Lord's table. It's not Matt Richard's table. It's not, you know, Brady's table. It's not, you know, Johnny or Susie's table. It's the Lord's table. We are the guests that come to that table. We're invited. So when people come up at St. Paul's, they stand at the rail. And then I say, I put my hands on, I say, welcome, right? Welcome to the Lord's table. You know, I don't say, welcome to Matt's table. What can I get you order? You know, it's, well, welcome to the Lord's table. It's a welcome. You're here. God be praised. You're here. 
you're welcomed here. And then, and then the majority of the people at St. Paul's, they bow and then they kneel. They kneel at the, at the rail. And they kneel because they know something's going to be given and it's for them. So they come in faith to receive that which is given for them. And then their hands, again, their hands are open. Uh, they are receiving for the forgiveness of their sins, this great gift. And so, again, you know, bodily preparation and so forth, external disciplines are, are, are very good. We have a wide range of people, how they uh, practice those external disciplines. Um, we have some people who just focus right on singing the hymn during the communion. That's their way of prepping. Others will have their head down in prayer and preparation um, as, 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 as contemplating this. Um, others, you know, various different things we have. But the beginning of the hymnal, some people read through those prayers and so forth. Uh, but again, it, it's ultimately when it is coming forward, it's faith in these words given for you and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And that's why I know uh, Pastor Will Whedon has done a very good job in his, his books uh, and his writings and his teaching and preaching to emphasize just because Luther says that, you know, fasting and bodily preparation are not required, it doesn't mean you don't do it. Um, and the, the emphasis to be able to, why would I fast? Well, so that I can focus my heart and mind more on what I'm receiving, but it's not required. Uh, it is something that's going to be different for different people. Obviously, there's an expectation of reverence, an expectation of, of respect for other people that are there. But just think about um, the different ways that reflect our theology and how we stand, where we go. For example, we often will come forward to the altar uh, because, like you said, uh, welcome to the Lord's table. That is not my table or anybody else's table. It's, it's not a, a buffet you just pass along. It is something that is the Lord's. And so that reflects what we believe as we've emphasized the forgiveness of sins being received. So we should do it a certain way in reverence, which is one of the beauties of being in the Lutheran church is that we see this as Jesus says, something that is vital, heaven coming to us here on earth by the hand of Christ. So pastor, as we look at this, I'm reminded of in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he really does speak about how uh, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Well, and it talks about examining themselves. So, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 27 to 28. This is quite terrifying to me at times when I think about this is, have I examined myself well enough? Um, am I worthy to receive this? Uh, this is something that we do have to take serious, which is why we take very serious who does receive the Lord's Supper in our congregations. And Pastor, can you break that down for us a little bit? Because I read that and get me quite anxious, but yet I don't want to go up there haphazardly either. Any thoughts? Well, I think I think the question is how do we examine ourselves? You know, and again, this comes back to the conscience uh, for the conscience sake. Um, I would say number one. Um, in my interactions as a pastor, oftentimes we can feel guilt and shame for things that have been done to us or, or things that are actually not sin. And so the conscience needs to be freed from that which is not sin. But then the things that we actually should feel guilty about and our conscience should be bothered are things that are actually sin that we have committed in thought, word, and deed. But then the question then comes down to, well, 
man, how do, how do I discern um, what is sinful and what's not and, and so forth? And, and it really comes down to, you know, this examination of ourselves comes down to God's holy writ, his, his word of God. And so, you know, to, to be aware of our sins is to be aware of the Ten Commandments. Um, and this is what I teach my confirmants, that, that as you are contemplating, uh, you know, taking the Lord's Supper, uh, just start going down the list, go one, two, three, four, five. And so pull this back here a little bit with my confirmation students. My goal is to get them to be able to know the commandments so quickly. I can just say three and they say Sabbath. I'll say four, mom and dad, you know, six, adultery, you know, five, life, uh, which is do not murder. And and to know it that quickly so that when you think through these 10 commandments, you know, one, two, three, four, and you think and you contemplate of last week, you know, by the time I get to three or four, my head just hangs like, man, oh man, I've made a mess of this week. And mm-hmm. uh, those commandments, they show us what is good and right and true, God's holy will for us. And then as we contemplate those commandments, we realize how the ways that we've fallen short. And so then we're aware of our sins, but then the next question, are we sorry for those sins? Um, and sorrow for sin is just basically that shame, that, that guilty conscience saying, man, I messed up. Um, I need I need Jesus. And so as we contemplate that, um, I often wonder, you know, I'm up front as a pastor, but I do know like when I get a chance to sit in the pew at a church service and I'm contemplating my sin, part of me wants to get up and run to the altar. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I just, I just want to mm-hmm. run there as fast as I can because it's like, free me from this body of sin and death, oh Lord. Now, obviously, we have this this idea of reverence, which which would would, would snap that you know <laughs> the idea of reverence. But in a sense, we should uh, you know want to sprint to that altar uh, to receive the gifts. And so, how do we examine by the Ten Commandments, not by our own thoughts or feelings, or even what you know our neighbor thinks of us? Um, way too many times we give into societal pressure of what society says is good and right and true, or what our neighbors think, or even what our perhaps what our parents or our friends say, and there's only one standard, and that's the Word of God, and that's what that is what discerns and helps us um, dissect you or, 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 or examine. Let's use that word: examine ourselves in preparation for preparation for this, the Lord's table. And that's so important. And this is something that I think is an issue in Minnesota. And I'll say that because I'm from here, I live here, I've, I've served here. Is that there are a number of realities that we will feel bad for in Minnesota that other people don't necessarily. One is that nice factor. You know, you're not being nice to that person, which is awfully subjective at times, but we, so we feel bad that we didn't, aren't, weren't perceived to be nice in that situation or someone doesn't care for us. And so we, we tend to focus on that where often we'll come to something like the Lord's Supper or to confession absolution and never ask the question about what did the 10 commandments actually have to say? So I'd love how you make that distinction of how we can feel this shame over something that God doesn't point us to as sin. Uh, so that's my challenge to you, to you as listeners. Uh, when you do go to the Lord's Supper this Sunday or other times, uh, you know, look up the Ten Commandments and ask yourself just a few of them before you go forward, um, before you receive absolution or confession absolution at the beginning of service, to go down the list of the Ten Commandments, not to try to uh, beat yourself up over something that maybe isn't necessarily sinful, which often leads to uh, many people that they're, they're, they're thinking about these things that make them feel guilty when it isn't explicitly in God's Word. And then that leads, unfortunately, to many people 
to despair and they're no longer looking to Christ or looking at themselves and they don't find a way out. So that is why it's important to look at the clear words of scripture, like the 10 commandments before you, uh, before you take communion, but with the full assurance that Christ gives exactly what he says. Pastor, any thoughts on that? We can get, as we've used these words, pietism or different ideas of guilt or shame that sometimes aren't even explicitly in scripture. Yeah. Again, I, I, I would, I would, concur with what you've said so far. And I think, again, I think I think the big challenge for us is oftentimes we feel guilty for things that we should not be feeling guilty for. And then there is no guilt in areas that where we should properly have guilt. And how do we discern that? Uh, it's certainly not by, again, it's not by us, uh, you know, going to our own thoughts and feelings and, and what do we think about it? And it's not even us going to what our friends uh, it's going straight to that word of God, knowing those Ten Commandments to to rattle them off. And if if you in fact, if you look at you know even modern Hollywood movies, uh, you watch modern Hollywood movies. Usually the uh, the uh, movie starts off. Any movie that you look at, it usually starts off and something's positive, and you know it's a nice family and something's really good and true. And then all of a sudden, some sort of tragedy happens that that introduces the uh, the tension in the movie. And usually that's going to be a breaking of one of the Ten Commandments. And then the whole rest of the movie is going to be what reconciling that which is broken to the climax when there's some sort of resolution, whether it's justice or forgiveness or whatever it may be. Be but you look at that uh, Ten Commandments; they they're they're everywhere. And so if we just pause as Christians and to think through those for our own life, uh, it's, it doesn't take very very long to understand that we're flesh and blood and that uh, we we have sinned. Uh, drastically. But then again, we got to pause there. Once we recognize our sin, the boldness of faith says, yep, I'm a sinner, but also I'm going right to that rail because I know where the forgiveness of sins is located and who it's for. It's for me. And so we go boldly to that throne, not with arrogance, obviously not with arrogance, but we go boldly in faith uh, to receive the gift of Christ for us. And pastor, you had a quote from one of the church fathers, or Lutheran church fathers, Martin Chemnitz. You want to talk about that now? Yeah, it, it's, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, in, in how to talk about uh, the Lord's Supper, what what what's going on, and I heard this a long time ago, and I had to, and I can't remember where I heard it again, and so I got looking into it, and I found out it was this guy named Martin Chemnitz. They call him the second Martin, and uh, he came after Luther. And uh, he, he talks about the Lord's Supper with the uh, story of Moses and the burning bush. And uh, so if you can recall, the, if our listeners can recall the uh, burning bush, uh, and this is going to be in Exodus chapter 3, you know, the angel of the Lord is, is appeared uh, in the flame of fire before, uh, before Moses. And it says that uh, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Chemnitz goes on to talk about how, you know, if we think about this, did the Lord, you know, turn into a bush, right? Um, you know, did he turn into a bush? We say, well, no, he didn't, he didn't turn into a bush. Uh, the bush was burning. It was fully consumed, but not uh, fully burning, but not consumed. And then, well, did the bush represent the Lord? We're like, well, no, that's preposterous. The bush didn't represent the Lord. And so uh, he says that the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And so he appeals to this as the same thing with the uh, bread and the wine. Uh, you know, obviously the bread and the wine, uh, they don't, you know, turn into or transform, you know, as the Catholics would believe. And then the uh, bread and the wine, they don't represent just like the Baptists would believe. Uh, we would say it is. The Lord is in, with, and under, uh, fully present, uh, 
for us and the true body and true blood uh, in those elements for us. And so it's just a very helpful way of thinking of it. You know, again, you know, you teach us little children, you know, did, did God turn into a bush? And the kids say, well, no, he didn't turn into a bush. Uh, does the bush represent? Well, no, it doesn't. Uh, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And so the Lord was fully present right there uh, before Moses uh, appearing before him in that bush. Well, how is that possible, Pastor? <laughs> well, this is this is the Lord. This is the, how the Lord is. I mean, this is uh, this is fully present in, with, and under um, for us. And and so, um, and ultimately, this comes down to us understanding too that the Lord is God and we're not. You know, and uh, mm. but thinking about this too, I mean, that that Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. You know, uh, he you know he didn't. Uh, you know, he wasn't just a good man, and he wasn't just divine with no human nature. He's fully God and fully man for us. And these are the great mysteries of the faith, but God be praised are true for us. Um, ultimately, the Lord coming to us, descending to us, giving himself to us, um, all for us. So the emphasis is always on faith. And there is a question that's in the back of the small catechism. And I, and I do ask you listeners that, the small catechism is quite small, uh, ironically, because that's the name of it. But in our explanation, Luther's small catechism with explanation, it has it has a whole bunch of references in the back. And if you were to, if you were to go to page three hundred and thirty six of Luther's small catechism with explanation, it does ask this good question, which is outstanding for us to reflect on: Does everyone who eats and drinks the sacrament also receive forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Pastor, what, what's the answer to that? Does everyone who eats and drinks the sacrament also receive forgiveness of life, forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation? Yeah, the answer is actually no. Um, in fact, I got I opened it up too right when you're reading this, and it, it it's, yeah. it's a great little answer. It says, "All who eat and drink in the sacrament receive Christ's body and blood, and so are offered the benefits He has promised." But it's only through faith in Christ's word that we receive the benefits offered in our Lord's testament. And so, uh, you know, it, 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 our eating and drinking doesn't make it, you know, doesn't make it, uh, you know, uh, make it into, you know, the forgiveness of sins. You know, our eating, it's, it's not contingent upon, remember back to where we're talking about the syllable, right? Uh, mm. But nonetheless, uh, forgiveness of sins, that forgiveness of sins, that means of grace is is received by faith and when there's no faith uh you can't receive it and so it's ultimately when it comes down to prayer you know um you know my my ongoing uh struggle with with prayer as we talk about it is that prayer is the voice of faith and so um technically speaking only christians can pray because only christians have faith and so you hear the sentiment in our culture all the time i'll pray for you or or you know the newest one is sending you positive vibes which i don't even know what that means, really, to send mm-hmm. a positive vibe. But you'll hear this in movies all the time. You know, I'll pray for you, praying for you. Well, they're not praying because they don't have faith. And uh, so apart from faith, there's no such thing as as true prayer. And apart from faith, uh, there's no what? There's no reception of this this uh, this wonderful gift. Uh, in fact, uh, boy, it's quite the opposite. As we look at about five minutes left in our time, Pastor, I do I do want to get to a few practical realities. Is when we talk about worthiness, we fully agree we're not worthy. What makes one worthy? Faith. So as a church, that becomes difficult because 
you can't see faith. You know, it's just not something that is is physically tangible. We can see people who come to worship. We can see people who are doing good works, but we can't necessarily see faith. So how does a pastor, and this is good for you, our listeners, to pray for your pastors and other leaders in the church, how do you even determine who should be receiving the sacrament, who is maybe not worthy to receive it? Your thoughts? Well, this is this is an area of pastoral application where, you know, when pastors visit with individuals in the church and they interact with people in the church, um, if a person's going through perhaps a struggle, let's just say, and they haven't sorted out perhaps maybe a, you know, some sort of confrontation with another member of the church or a confrontation with a family member and it's this ongoing sin, or or they find themselves in a huge predicament. And sometimes we, we have to be realistic that 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 obviously uh sin is sin, but sometimes we we get wrapped up in sin that is so deep that it sometimes takes a little bit of time to unravel that sin and, and unpack it. And so when those situations happen, when there's unrest uh, with a person, uh, with their neighbor, um, or if there's just a real sticky situation where we're trying to unpack layers of sin in a person's life, um, I'll, I'll tell them, say, you know, until we figure this out, um, let's, let's just abstain from the Lord's table. And, you know, Sometimes maybe people call that a pastoral ban, and I would say, no, that's just pastoral uh, care, pastoral care of the soul. And um, so, you know, when it comes to those situations where, uh, where you know, those sticky situations, if you will, uh, pastorally, that's the conversation that happens behind the scene. Now, you don't have to announce that. Get up and say, okay, today I had private conversations with Johnny, Susie, you know, Philip, and, and uh, you know, uh, John and so forth, and and they're not going to be taken today because you know no that that happens privately uh, with the pastor, and uh, it's very customary here at St. Paul's that um, non-members and also uh, youth will come forward, and I ask them to cross their hands just because it's it's easier to signify who's taken and who's not, and and then we do a blessing, uh, remind them of their baptisms, who they belong to. Uh, we also have had a, situations where people have come into the church and. They're being catechized and they haven't been baptized yet. So we just say, wait, um, obviously wait uh, to have the Lord's Supper and until you're baptized and become a member of the church. And so those can be hap- those can happen pastorally uh, between the pastor and the parishioner throughout the week and throughout the months and can happen very, very calmly and uh, uh, in working on one-on-one relationships. And I would encourage you, our listeners, that when you are worshiping somewhere and you're not sure about what communion is at that place or what the confession or would I take communion or not, to to maybe call the pastor during the week and to get a a feel for this, um, to talk through what it is. I do specifically remember going to a church that was not in fellowship with the LCMS, and this was before I was even at seminary. And I remember it saying in the bulletin, if you're not part of this church body, then we ask you to wait to receive the Lord's Supper. And I remember the whole service. This is this is my own fault. I remember looking around and going, I think I know more than that guy. <laughs> I think I I think I understand more than that person. And that person is not as serious, maybe quote unquote, in my own heart thinking as I am. But yet they get to take communion as opposed to me. And the whole time I was not doing you know what the tax collector was doing, which was Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. And I think that's an important piece of everything that is said about the Lord's Supper. It's not about you comparing to others. It's about you and and the Lord and the community by which you are communing with to say, we join together as sinners and to be able to wrestle with some of those realities of who is worthy 
and how do we uh, administer the sacrament appropriately? Pastor, we have about a minute, minute and a half left in our time. How do you want to end our time and point people to, back to Christ? Well, I think kind of building off what you said there, uh, this idea of worthiness, right? And so it's kind of this, I don't know how you say this, maybe, I don't know if the word oxymoron would be, or uh, ironic, irony, or, or whatever word we want to use. It, it, we're, we're truly worthy when we realize we're unworthy. <laughs> I mean, it, it really comes down to that, uh, that we are tax collectors, that we're unworthy servants. And so as soon as we go to that point where we think that we're worthy, and then, you know, it's our table, right? And we're going to storm the gates of, of, of the altar, right? It's my table, and I'm, I have a right to be here, and it's so forth. That's just pride speaking. That's unbelief. Um, but if we beat our chest and say, I'm unworthy, and uh, I'm a sinner and thought word indeed, and yet the Lord God, who has risen from the dead, who bled and died for me, longs to invite me to this table to give me his good gifts, uh, not because of what I have accomplished, not because of my eating and drinking, but because of his sheer gift and his longing to give to me at his table uh, his gifts. Uh, boy, then come and receive and come come and partake and uh, to receive that, that, that blessing of forgiveness, life, and salvation to be, as we pray, right, to be strengthened in the faith and, and uh, love for our neighbor. And so it's an ongoing gift, um, ultimately, that we need um, every single week till the day that we depart unto Christ and buried deeply in the wounds of Christ unto the resurrection. Pastor Matthew Richard of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Minot, North Dakota, clearly confessing the truth of the sacrament of the altar according to God's word. Pastor Richard, thank you for your faithful teaching with us here on Concord Matters. Thanks, Brady. It's good to be here. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the wrong place.